Good morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. Uh, Let me pray for us. Can I do that? God, would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would the Holy Spirit remind us what you want to say to us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many people, by way of applause, how many people like challenges? Yes, yes, one person more than last service. That is really cool. Yeah, I mean, maybe people don't like challenges, but I happen to be one of those people uh, who like challenges. And some would say, some people that know me would say I'm a challenger. I, you know, I beg to differ. Uh, I just like to talk about things that are not right. Let's just say, (laughs) stop laughing so hard, Myra. Thank you. Um, But I do like challenges. I feel like in in basketball, I've had some coaches that challenge me. Um, I have friends that challenge me. Uh, I have a wife that challenges me um, in a good way. I didn't didn't mean that in any particular way. Um, That's funny. (laughs) She challenges me in every every good way, every good way possible. Uh, But what I do love is that I have a church that challenges me. And I appreciate this James series because the James series that we've been in for the last several weeks has been challenging to me. It's been things that I have to apply to my life. And I appreciate, I've been around uh, Renaissance from day zero. You know, Jordan and I uh, and, and the Rices and the Morrises, this, this is amazing when I look out in the crowd and I see actual people. Like this was a thought. Um, And to know that we are in a series that is still challenging me, is actually I'm actually very grateful for that. And so uh, you can get some of the the sermons on our our Renaissance app. Um, But last night I was going through some of our James series uh, messages, and Jordan led us off with his message called No Shortcuts. And in James 1, he was talking about trials and pain and suffering being one of the ways that God matures us. And for those of us who may not be following Jesus or you don't know where you stand with Jesus, one of the ways that God challenges and and moves us towards maturity in a relationship with him is through pain and suffering. And there are times when there are no shortcuts. I'm like, man, that's, that's good. And then Dr. Amber Fields, shout out to her, right? Oh, yeah, we got some Dr. Amber Fields. Yo, she, she gives me uh, uh, Angela Bassett vibes. You ever see her, her arms? Ba-dow, ba-dow. She like, I like that. I'm like, yo, she be coming through. But Dr. Amber Fields taught me uh, that wealth is not my identity. And even, even the money that I don't have yet, and in my hunger for that, that's not my identity. She asked a question in her message. She said, who gets the privilege to label you? I'm like, man, that's good. The, pers- the one who created you from the dust of the earth, that's the one that gets the privilege to label you. Not the labels on your clothes or the money that you make. Those things don't make you who you are. God has wired you specifically on purpose and intentionally to be who God has called you to be. And then uh, our executive pr- pastor, Brandon, Uh, I love Brenda's last message, true wisdom is a matter of doing right, not thinking right. And yo, I fall into that category that, you know what, just because I think right about it, that's good enough. But it's not good enough just to think about it. You have to 
do it. And so I love that this James series has been challenging. I hope and pray that it has been challenging you to you and that it has catalyzed growth in your life. That these type, the challenges and the wisdom that James has give, given us in a very practical way has been a catalyst for you to grow. And here's one thing I noticed. God challenges us as well. God challenges the things that we begin to believe over time, some things that are not true about him, the things about the culture that we believe that we should be doing, uh, um, that the ways that we follow culture when God says, that is antithetical to the way that I've called you to live. But here's the thing. God challenges you because he loves you. God's challenge to every one of us, and as James and the book of James has been challenging to us, it's because God loves us. There's an image in his mind, there's a picture of how you would be shaped and molded and the image that is imprinted on your soul. There's a way he wants you to look to the rest of the world. Therefore, he challenges us because he loves us. See, I'm just a jerk. I challenge people because I'm a jerk. <laughs> That's right. Listen. Thank you. Thank you, Wendell. I wasn't expecting that from you tonight, today. But God challenges us because he desires for us to grow closer and closer into the image that we bear on our souls. I want to jump into our passage this morning uh, coming from James 4. Verse 13, starting at verse 13, uh, 13 to 17, starting at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Did they really say such and such back then? I don't know. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. One of the practices I've been trying to adopt in my life is to pause and slow down and to allow scripture to sink into my heart. And so I wanna bring that practice to us. Whether you read the Bible or you never picked it up or you've been reading the Bible for a long time, I think the purpose of scripture is to sink down and wash over us. And so I wanna read this again um, so you could hear it and allow it to sink in. Starting at verse 13, James 4. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. I want to 
talk about maybe five things that I think James is trying to teach us here. The first being, we are not in control of everything. We are not in control of everything. In verse 13, uh, James is peeking in and giving us, um, uh, he's reenacting a conversation that would have happened uh, between two business people. And at this time, like the reality was culture, in culture, um, the social status of people would have been super wide. You would have either been a person of means where you had wealth or you would have been a person of extreme poverty. And James is saying because that's the culture, he's first addressing people with wealth by saying, listen, your money is an unstable foundation for your life. Why is money an unstable foundation for your life? Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. See, uh, James is warning wealthy people to not put their trust in money. Why? Because even with money, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Money gives you and I a false sense of control. Now, I have a friend who, uh, who's been doing very well in business. And this, is, this example really shows the difference in how people with money think and how the people like me who don't have money think. I got a little bit, but not a lot. So we go out to a restaurant, and it's a really nice restaurant, and I'm looking at the wine sheet, right? And so when you go out to nice restaurants, you have to look at wine, even if you don't want it. You have to look at the list. Facts? Okay. Y'all know, y'all know how it is. So I'm looking at the wine list. I'm like, hmm, pretty expensive. Nothing on here is really something I'm going to... I'm like, yo, can I, how much for half a bottle? You know what? Just give me half a glass. We'll share. I'll share with somebody. I'm down to share with you. These prices are outrageous. So he buys a very good, sizable bottle of wine. The wine happened to not taste like he remembered it. That's when I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> so he sends the wine back. I'm like, dang, son, that was like, so you're just going to send that bottle back. Okay. And like, no, don't change the, he didn't, I, I would have been like, excuse me, sir, this, uh, that bottle of wine, I didn't really drink that. Please take that off the bill. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. He was like, you know what? He looked at the wine list. He ordered the wine that was three bottles above more, more expensive than the wine he got. And he said, the reason he did that is because he didn't want them to think that he couldn't do it. He didn't want them to think that, that him sending back the bottle of wine was like him being a jerk. And what James is saying is oftentimes when you have money, you ball out. And you put the, you put the uh, ability of money and what money can do above your dependence on God. And look, I'm not, listen, <laughs> uh, money changes a lot of things, yes? Can we be honest? We, we need money, and there's sometimes when, yo, some problems that Heather and I had when we first were married was because we didn't have enough money. Why do you have to get a salad, babe? You don't need a salad. We can go pick leaves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why would you need a salad right now? Like, let's be for real. You don't need a salad. We don't even need two forks, you know what I mean? 
But, you know, as I've grown and got some promotions, you know what I mean? I, we were able, I'm like, babe, you know what? Get you a salad and a dessert. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yo, but, but oftentimes money makes you feel like there's a foundation that you truly have when you really don't. And what James is saying, money is an unstable foundation for your life. The problem with this conversation was that there wasn't a problem with them saying, yo, we're going to go do business. We're going to be successful. That wasn't the problem that James is addressing. He's saying you have elevated the dependence on money above your dependence on God. So James says we are not in control of everything. We see this in the Bible. The Bible often warns us about depending on money because its greatest danger to us is that it skews our belief about our dependence on God. We get to see this. I, I, I love the, uh, uh, the, para, um, the Gospels because um, as Jesus is interacting with a man uh, of means in Mark 10, the Bible says this, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by his demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. This interaction, this rich dude runs up to Jesus. He gets on his knees. What do I need to do to have eternal life, God? How do I get back in right relationship with you? Jesus runs through the commandments. He says, yo, I, as a Jewish boy, I know all these commandments. I know exactly what to do. But Jesus in Mark 10 stops him and says, listen, 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 you lack one thing. And that one thing he was lacking, the first commandment says, have no other God but God alone. And God was addressing his heart ties, the disordered affection he had in his heart. He was tied more to his money because when he got invited to follow Jesus, he couldn't let go of his possessions. What money does, it makes us cling to our possessions versus clinging to God. And look, I'm not saying that money is the root of all evil, and it's just deceptive in that way. Now, James is not only talking about what's in our wallet. He is addressing the assurance that these two people are exhibiting. Listen to what the conversation would have gone like. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. James is not getting at their desires to, be, to make a profit, their desires to have business. But James is saying their assurance and their ability to make all of this happen is opposite of how God desires us to live. Now, for some of us, this notion that you don't know what tomorrow will bring also implicitly has a positive side. So for some of us in the room, you may have a negative script running in your mind. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but I would imagine if I asked us to raise our hands, some of us would say, we, there are things happening in your life, and you're like, you know what? Something bad is going to happen because things are good right now. And there are some of us in the room that are saying, you know what? I'm never going to get that job, that promotion. You know what? I'm never going to get that apartment. I'm never going to get that relationship. And, and listen, I want to be sensitive here because there's a lot of hard stuff happening in our world, yes? Um, but for some of us, we've adopted a personal negative script. 
And what James is also implicitly saying is, listen, you are writing the ending to a story that you're not the author of. Stop. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What if reconciliation with you and that friend or family member is right around the corner? What if that apartment is right around the corner? Praise the Lord. What if that opportunity that you've been, that break you've been waiting for, what if it is around the corner? Listen, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But here's the truth. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know if it isn't or it isn't. So don't give up in the moment. Don't prematurely step away from what God may be doing in your life. You know why? Because James says you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You have no idea. And the arrogance of this example, James is saying, that arrogance almost makes you feel like you're in control of every outcome of your life, and you're not. Paul says it this way when he's having some disagreement in the, first, in the church, uh, in the Corinth church, the church of Corinthians, when he's writing the letter, writing his letter to them, um, he was a teacher and this guy named Apollos comes on the scene and he's a teacher as well. And there's this argument like, yo, should we follow Paul or should we follow Apollos? And Paul addresses them. He addresses the whole situation. He says, look, he said, Paul and Apollos, we sow, we water, but listen, it's God who adds the increase. It's God who's in control of the outcomes of your life. And it doesn't mean we don't have any part in it. It simply means you have to remember you're not in control of everything because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. But God does. And so you depend on him. So for those who practice a negative script in life, this is what I want you to do. Every time you feel that script approaching from today forward, I want you to say, stop, self. I don't know what tomorrow brings. And I want you to allow God to be close to you in that moment and continue to reveal to you what he's doing in your life. Point number two, what James also does at the end of verse 14 when he says, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Ouch. That's tough, man. Yo, there's some passages in the Bible I just don't really want to preach. I'm just keeping it a buck. This is hard for me. Death is is a hard conversation for me. When I was young growing up, um, I felt like I had this voice like just telling me, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And I, I, I really felt tortured. This is no lie. And I would wake up in cold sweat sometimes when I was in middle school and going into high school. By the high school, I was a G, so you know what I'm saying? I didn't let it affect me like that. You know what I mean? But I would run into my parents' room, and now when I ran in, I had good excuses when I was in high school. But um, it was, it, it's a topic that is difficult. And listen, I want to be sensitive to the room right now. I know many of us have been experiencing a lot of heartache and pain. However, Scripture is still true. James is saying, but our life is a vapor. It's a mist. On the map of eternity, our life is a, is a dot. Yo, how many times have you said this? I know for me, when I turned 40, I was like, yo, 40? How? I literally was just 18. Literally. 
Like, I'm getting up with all kind of problems in my feet. My feet hurt. For what? It's crazy. But our life is but a vapor. James is saying death is certain. All of us. Death is not an event. It's an appointment. It's, it's sobering. It is really sobering. James reminds us that death is certain. However, it's a healthy reminder. And I hope it's a healthy reminder because, listen, those of us in the room who procrastinate, shame the devil. I didn't hear anything. Okay, right? Like me. Uh, if death is certain, procrastination is why? Why? Like, let's utilize our time wisely. And that's a word for me. You know, sometimes as my wife is, is praying and she's snot-nosed crying in the bathroom and I'm, I'm watching ESPN like, yo, KD, what up? Yeah, that's good. Where you trying to go, Phoenix? You trying to go to Miami? I'm sitting, I'm like, yo, I just need to turn ESPN off. There's something else productive I could be doing with my time. Death is certain, and I think it's a healthy reminder. For those of us who live recklessly, when I was in college, do you know the things that I did that I, I look back as a 40-year-old man and like, why? Why would you jump from up there? Why would you do that? You could die. And when I, in the college, it never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. More sane people were like, yo, you sure you want to do that? I'm like, why not? What? Death is certain. I can't live recklessly. And I'm, it is a sobering thought. And I think James is giving us a healthy reminder. Now, here's the good news, though. Death is certain. But death is a defeated foe. Death is a defeated foe. See, although death is the one appointment all humans have, death is a defeated foe. Death has met its match in Jesus the Bible tells us that Jesus, being in very nature of God, enters the belly of death, looks around for a little while, and destroys it by raising to life again. And the good news of the gospel is, yes, we have a king that died for us. Yes, we should celebrate the work that Jesus did on the cross, but no other faith can celebrate that they worship a risen king. See, I know... I will see death, but my faith tells me that when death comes knocking at the door, and I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself right now, when death comes knocking at the door, my king will be on the other side screaming, welcome home. <laughs> see, to, to those of us who may not be following Jesus, and maybe for you, you have your reasons. The Bible is written by man. The, uh, Christianity is the white man's religion. You may be having all types of things and reasons why you don't follow Jesus. To me, the, the security and encouragement is that there's a king that rose from death in three days. He conquered it, and he tells me, not even death will stop me from loving you. That is the security and joy I have as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And so although death is certain, the hope for the human heart is in the resurrected Jesus. Listen to how Dr. Martin Luther King says it. I, I've been more encouraged as I read more of his material. Uh, he says this in the end of his, his message right before he dies. He says, well, 
I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. For the Christian, our faith allows us to see the coming of the Lord. And we look at death as defeated foe and say, death, where's your sting? Only the power of the resurrected king gives us that hope in our hearts. And although James is reminding us that death is certain, he's also reminding us that hope for the human heart is found in the resurrected Jesus. Point three. James is also here in verse 15 when he says, instead... You should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James is instructing us to make God's will our priority. See, James is now laying out for us the punchline. Instead of being arrogant and assuming that all of the things that you do or have planned in life are going to happen because of your efforts, James is saying, Please turn to the reality that you put that down and now focus uh, the intentionality of your life on making God's will your priority. Okay, so that's a lot to say, but what does that actually mean for us practically? It simply means for us to hold our plans loosely. It means to adopt um, a worldview that says, yes, I'm going to plan for retirement. Yes, I'm going to be a good steward of finances. Yes, I'm going to be kind in my, re- my relationships, and I want to invest in relationships both now and long term. Yes, I'm going to think about the future. However, I'm going to think about the future with the perspective that if that's God's will for my life, then that's what I want. And if it's not what God's will is, what, what God's will is for my life, but I want it, I'm going to say no anyway. See, James is trying to challenge the way we live. It's a totally different perspective than the culture. The culture says, get that bag at all costs. For those who don't know, get that bag means obtain (laughs) a lot of money at whatever juncture you can. It means chase after it. Keep going, okay? That's what it means to get that bag. I mean, we have to do that. Diversity. (laughs) Um, The culture encourages and pushes us towards that ideology. But James says, if getting that bag in that situation is not God's will for your life, turn it down. That's countercultural. That's not easy to do either. The bag looks so good. Lord, you sure I can't have that? And if he says, that's not my will for your life, you have to trust that there's something better. You have to trust, the Christian has to trust that there's something greater. 
See, those of us who may not be following Jesus, you should be looking at Christians and saying, yo, that's stupid. Why would you do that? That's, that's what the people who don't follow Jesus should be saying. And we should be uh, resolved to say, I know, <laughs> I know, but I trust that God has something better because I'm instructed to make God's will the priority in my life. And then at the end of that road, you stand and say, look, I told you it was going to be worth it. But you can only have that resolve when you put your dependence on Jesus. Number four, James in verse 16, he warns us that arrogance is evil. And this is another sobering part of this part of scripture. When he says, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance in verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Peep, James doesn't say all such boasting is not cool. He doesn't say all such boasting is unhealthy. He doesn't say all such boasting gives you a bad witness to other people if you're a Christian. He says all such boasting is evil. See, in our culture today, we've psychologized and we philosophized evil into thinking that it's not sin. We've reduced it down to just something, oh, we shouldn't do. But James is saying when you engage in an arrogant ideology, you are sinning. And sin just simply means you're missing the mark. You're missing the way that God designed this harmonious relationship with him and the, the image bearers that he created. That, that relationship is being broken up because, because you are arrogant. See, arrogance, the reason James is going so hard against arrogance is because arrogance is rooted in pride. Pride was the cause and is the cause of humanity's drifting away from God. The fall of humanity happened because of pride. It is at the center of our rebellion against God, and James is warning us that it's not just something that is not good, it's sin. Here's how pride sounds, if, if, if maybe you could identify. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. It's the casual, haphazard way of just saying everything in my life will depend on me. At the root of pride is selfishness. Pride says, you know what, God? Let me take you off the throne and let me put myself there. I can determine what's good for my life. I can determine what's not good for my life. I am the one who is dictating what is going to happen in my life. And listen, some of you might be like, well, I don't speak like that to God. I would never. You may not do it with your words, but you do it with your actions. So many times, I have unintentionally and subtly taken God off the throne and said Aswan's way is better. And what James is warning us is saying that type of arrogance and pride is not just unhealthy, it's evil. Proverbs 6 says it like this, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, 
feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble amongst brothers. And it all started with arrogant eyes. So here's the good news, that even in my arrogance, God loves me. Even in the fact that I am one of the most arrogant people in this auditorium right now, God loves me. He looks at me and he says, Aswan, man, why are you so arrogant? Maybe God doesn't speak like that. But he looks at me and he loves me. The Bible says it like this, while you and I were still stuck in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what's beautiful about that? To anybody who doesn't follow Jesus, you know what's beautiful about that? God is not waiting for you to get it right. God is not waiting for you to fix it up. You can't on your own. That's the problem. You know why? Because if you could, you would have. You would have done it a long time ago. And you, you know why misery loves company? Because misery can't fix itself. Even in our arrogance, the good news says that God still died knowing that we are stuck in our arrogant ways. He still died on a cross and rose on the third day and will come back and say, once you repent of that mindset, welcome home. Number five, and I'll close with this. Uh, James challenges us to humble ourselves before God. In verse 17, James says, so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. See, oftentimes in Christian circles, we talk about sin as the things that you shouldn't do, the bad things that you don't do. Just avoid them by, like a plague. Avoid them at all costs. But what James is also saying here, what about the things that you know you're supposed to be doing? You know you should be kind, Christian, but you're not. And you justify your lack of kindness. You know you should be forgiving. You know you should be gracious with your time and your money, but you don't. James is saying, again, these are not things that are just not cool. This is sin. This is missing the mark. This is not the way God designed you to live. So James is saying sin is not just bad things, doing bad things. It's missing the mark. It's operating independently of God. So when you know that you shouldn't operate independently of God and you do so anyway, it is sin. So here's a question. And here's some application for us. Where in your life have you been operating independently of God? I knew there would be silence. Where in your life? And listen, you may be coming to church for the first time, and that's cool. Where in your life have you been operating independently of God? You may come here faithfully every Sunday for the last seven years, you may have been in church your whole life. The question remains, where in your life have you been operating independently of God? 
And you know what James says? James says the antidote for the arrogant and prideful heart is humility. To intentionally humble ourselves before God. And you know why it has to be intentional? Because our hearts don't want to do that. We are prone to pride. We lean towards pride. So, I want to give us five practical things that we can do this week to cultivate a heart of humility. One, ask God in any situation that you're in, ask God what he is trying to show you. I want you to write these down if you can, or take a picture, I guess, is the new way to say that. Ask God what he is trying to show you. See, some of you may be getting feedback from your friends. Maybe you're trying things, you're in a relationship, whatever, but you might be getting feedback from friends, and some of us have discounted the source that that feedback is coming from. You know what I want you to do this week? Don't discount it. Say, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Why does this friend of mine keep telling me my tone is too rough? That was for me personally. (laughs) Thanks, babe. Number two, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. A grateful heart is a humble heart. So at the end of every day this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down what you are grateful for. At the end of every, every day this week, so for the next seven days, I want you to sit, write down at the end of today, I want you to write it down. At the end of Monday, I want you to write it down. What are you grateful for? And then I want you to spend four or five minutes on each of those things thanking God. And look, for those of you who don't know where you stand with God, this could be a practice that you develop and, and maybe this draws you closer to God. But I want you to do that. Practice gratitude. Three, choose to serve. Those of us, anybody serving in a crew in there, right? You know why serving is good? Because it takes the focus off of you. So I want you to serve. Choose to serve. Four, die daily. I want you to actively deny yourself. Some of you have urges, and I'll, I'll, I'll be fun, funny about the first one. Maybe it's the extra, it's the cake or the unhealthy thing that you're not supposed to be gluten, and you're like, oh, well, just a little gluten won't hurt. I want you to deny yourself because the denial of yourself produces a heart of humility. Some of you have urges. Look, I need affection. I'm single, Lord, like I need some actual, I know if I pray to you, I can feel good in my heart. That's cool, but I need some affection. Can we be real? And I want you, as hard as it may be, to deny that urge and to say, Lord, what are you doing in my life? How else could that be filled according to your will? Lastly, so ask God what he's trying to do, practice gratefulness, choose to serve, die daily, and here's the last one, live life with people different from you. And I don't mean say hi. I don't mean go to a church and sit next to people that are different than you. This week, 
I want you to find a new crew. Maybe it's just a new person that doesn't vote like you. They don't listen to the same music you listen to. They don't look anything like you. And I want you to be uncomfortable because discomfort will breed humility because you'll know your way is not the best way. You know the way you think is not the only way to think. Ask God what he's trying to show you. Practice gratitude. Choose to serve. Die daily. Live life with people different than you. That will help cultivate a humble heart because arrogance is a sin. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that even in our arrogance, you love us. You died for us. But God, we ask for the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit, would we cultivate a heart of humility? Help us do so, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name.